0: Hi, I'm Laura Mize from teachmetotalk.com. Hi, I'm Kelly Hampton. Hi,
1: this is Chip Gerhart, Chairman of the Board of the National Down Syndrome Society. This is Rachel Coleman from Signing Time, and you're listening to Down Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Down
0: Syndrome Radio.
1: Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio.
2: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Down Syndrome Radio, your podcast source for information regarding uh, raising children with Down Syndrome. Uh, my name is Mark Owens. I'm here with my good friends Jason Kosky and Rick Kosmowski. Uh This is episode number 27, I believe. This is our episode on inclusive practices, which we think fits perfectly with our uh, ain't seen nothing yet uh outlook for our children so uh, uh stay tuned for our special guest here in a minute it's going to be good uh we've actually revealed this before so and you probably have the name of the podcast episode but anyway for for form's sake we'll, we'll we'll hold that back but uh i wanted to get the update it's been a been about a month since you recorded what's going on over there uh in california jason
0: well today is my daughter's my newest daughter's one month birthday whoa um yeah hey. It is also hot as heck here we we're, we're sweltering here in lovely Southern California. Um, all of San Diego schools were closed today because of the fires that are that are burning in and around kind of the area not not necessarily close to us, but some people I worked with were evacuated and stuff, so it''s, it's definitely wow. kind of scary.
2: I liked your comparison but, to our snow days.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so days are fun, though. I guess my daughter had fun today. She she wasn't worried about it, so. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, at least your house and your school is okay. So there you yeah.
2: Go. Instead yeah. of having to wear gloves and mittens, do you have to wear like a bandana over your mouth or something? <laughs> oh man!
0: Probably in those evacuated areas, you can see just some of the smoke from my from my office too. Um, but there was there was I think at, at one point yesterday there was like nine different fires burning in the county
2: so how's uh, how's dexter doing man what's the latest on him
0: Dexter's doing great he is doing really really good yeah I mean uh, I don't think anything is new um, yeah no no news is good news I guess <laughs> I guess we're, we're, we're you know he is the three-year-old big brother now so he is um, he does really good at being gentle right in the right in the beginning. But after you know a minute or so, he kind of uh, goes back to being a three-year-old boy and just wants to grab and poke and pull on 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 baby sister. So nice, nice. So we're, yeah. we're running defense now. We're we're running defense
1: most of the time.
2: All right, Rick. I guess you guys got you got lots to report over there, don't you, man?
1: yeah it was just we just had our buddy walk weekend so that just that just happened and um, uh, school's coming to an end, which is crazy IEPs just happened a uh, whole lot of discussion about uh, how we're gonna approach next year with Kayla um, we also had this little scare last week about uh, noticed Kayla had like these two little bald spots on the top of her head about the size of a quarter or a nikon took her to a uh, pediatric dermatologist and it uh, turns out that she has alopecia which uh isn't the end of the world but you know anything that affects your kid you get pretty upset about and it's just another another thing it's, it's so, such uh, a, we're it's, learning all about alopecia now it's i mean and, it's such uh, a
2: crime cuz she's you know she's such a beautiful young
1: lady you know it's thank you
2: yeah it's it's it hits close thank to home you.
1: It hurts, yeah, because she's, she's getting to the age where she's into like, you know, now she wants to put on makeup and she wants to do her hair and stuff like that. So hopefully, uh, this is a mild case and hopefully it doesn't hit her too hard. And I mean, we're just, I mean, the, all our friends out there on Facebook and stuff have really been helpful with resources. So we're learning all about it and just a, a step at a time, as you always do with a, a new symptom that comes. Uh, it, it's not necessarily re, uh, Down syndrome related, but there are, you know, just like anything else, a higher percentage of people with Down syndrome have alopecia as well. So
2: I hope you guys can uh, can roll with it. You guys are strong parents. So I, yeah. I you know.
1: Yeah, so I'll update everybody th- as it goes and, and the things we learn. And, you know, just another thing to share information uh, about. Dude,
2: is there, like, like we need more things, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, but other than that, uh, things are going good. Eh? We went to Disney for spring break. That was awesome. Fantastic trip in Florida first time driving up and back so that was an adventure wow, and um yeah. with oh, the new one too so how it's old it's is your younger this. child yeah he's 14, uh, 19 months wow logan 19 months so that is a tough drive yeah overnight drive so that was the secret drive mm-hmm. overnight Ah, oh, nice no potty breaks that way so it was good <laughs>
2: Okay, well uh down here in Richmond, uh, Luke's uh Luke's blossoming here. Uh, he's doing he's doing just great. Uh we did sign his IEP recently as well uh for kindergarten next year. So we're entering the the public school. He's been in a private preschool for a while, so this is our first uh, foray into that. Uh you know, we uh we took it carefully. We think it's going to go pretty well, but you know, we're a little nervous. Uh and uh he's talking up a storm and we're working on the learning program and reading and uh just hand strengthening and he's always got a list of uh, of things we work on, but uh, he takes it cheerfully. He's a good kid. He's fun to have around. So uh, so life is good in that regard. Uh, that leads us to uh, inclusion. This is big for you, Rick. I know it's going to be big for, for all of us. It starts with me next year as well. So Our special guest uh, is a gentleman who was kind enough to come to Richmond and uh, uh, be the keynote speaker at our uh, education conference last year. Uh, His uh, uh, keynote speech was uh, hit very close to home with me. Uh, I found it quite moving. It's Michael Remus. Uh, uh, He is the uh, director of special education for Deer Valley Unified School District in Phoenix. Uh, He's authored a number of books. Uh, His career has been in the classroom and in training parents and educators, how special education works, uh, he has received many awards. He's uh, uh, the National TASH Award as the most promising administrator for inclusive practices. Uh, we have been trying to get Michael to join us for quite some time. Sometimes we've had conflicts. Sometimes he's had conflicts. But uh, I'm glad we persevered. Michael, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, we normally ask first about you personally, like about your family and how you got where you are and, and whatnot, so we all kind of know the background.
3: Okay, well... First of all, I'm the dad of four children, and I will. two of my children have disabilities. And the way I describe my family is we, uh, our oldest two, our oldest son has multiple disabilities, and our second son has mild disabilities. And then our daughter in school, we called her the social butterfly. She was in school, but yet she wasn't. And then our other son was on the other end of the spectrum being very gifted, so. And in some states that we lived in, having three students or three children you know under the umbrella special aid we got to attend many many IEP's through the years and so it was interesting because I was already in education before we had children and as you well know when you have a child that is unique and it really changes your life and I will tell you it changed my whole thought processing processing it changed my belief system and our values as a family of really how we wanted to educate children in school. So we really started doing research, really started wanting to know. I was saying that we we wanted to make sure that our sons and daughters were included in school with typical peers. And as I was saying, it changed our value system, our belief system and everything about what we were doing. So My goal was to learn as much about how to include students, so I started traveling around the country looking at service delivery models and were there any places that really served kids, you know, of all levels of ability. And what what I found was many students that that were included with typical peers and particularly in the gen ed classroom, they were only students with very mild disabilities. And so wanted to work and so I moved to different places in the country to, to work with experts to pick their brains about how they saw inclusive practices. And I do say inclusive practices rather than inclusion because I don't want people to get stuck on a place. I really, to me, inclusive practices is good instruction. It's truly um, having students learn it's how do you assess students to see what they know and again how much time are they with typical peers during the school day so it, it, it people get caught up on a place or a classroom or where and my question always is what are they learning you know and are all kids learning including our students I think people see special ed as kinda what I call special and it isn't because having four children two of my other children were the typical peers and again when they're in school our goal was that they learn as much as they could so for example when my other two kids got to high school because i think people have this thing or they make these comments that inclusive education they always i mean you can hear all kinds of different terms from full inclusion partial inclusion responsible inclusion the list goes on and on, and it, it, in truly defining it, it's when every student is welcome and valued within a community, within the classroom and the school. And and I struggle when parents say, but I don't want my child ever pulled out, but I will tell you typical students are pulled out if there's a skill need or whatever. So we, we set up, and I started looking at service delivery models of having students go to what we call learning centers. And in a learning center, students get small group and sometimes even one-on-one instruction. But it's for all students. So it's not like you're going down to just a classroom that house only, you know, students who have been identified as special ed. So going through all of this, one of my goals was to wear lots of different hats. In other words, I wanted to walk in the shoes of several different you know, professional um, uh, ventures, you know, because right then I was teaching. And the one thing that I always said is I wouldn't teach my own children. So when my children started school, I went back and became an administrator and became a principal, you know, of a building that really wanted to make a, a whole building inclusive. And then from there, went on to be the special ed director, you know, for a school system. And from there went on to be a school board member cuz i really wanted to know that part of or experience so that i could talk with school boards across the country of how do you make that happen and then became a state director of special ed in the state of Kansas and the comment i always got then was oh you're going to become a bureaucrat well to me whether you're a parent whether you're a professional in the field of education I coined the phrase, going to Kansas, is I would put up banners. We were called advocates because I don't care who you are. We all should be advocating for students. And then the parent side of me truly was involved in the ARC many years ago because there really weren't other organizations, you know, that parents could attach themselves to, such as your organization and other ones, and truly became involved, you know, from uh, a parent point of view of being involved with the ARC and, and truly doing the advocacy role. I even left education for a couple of years to just do true advocacy when I became the executive director for the Arc of Tennessee. So I really hopefully approach this whole theme you know about inclusive practices not only from the professional perspective but also from the dad hat perspective because the dad hat in me always comes out first because as you well know as dads I mean Our children are number one, and you'll do anything for your children. So that's truly what got me involved with truly looking at inclusive practices for students.
2: All right. Well, uh, one of the things that I found, uh, um, obviously you moved on to Deer Valley, and uh, I think that's where you got to try some of these things out because what, what, what really struck me about your presentation was you not only got up there and said this is the way it should be, but you, you had data, you know, and, um, you know, as a, maybe a, as a man or a, as an engineer or whatever, that, that, that struck me as different.
3: Well, I think you have to have the data because you're going to have several audiences asking you, you know, why should we do this? And, uh, and coming to Deer Valley, this was the, the sixth system going in to truly do systems change. And I, and I say it systems change because you really have to go in and work with the entire system, the whole educational system. It can't just be special education over here making the changes. And so I learned through the other systems, you know, that you really have to have the buy in from all the different audiences that a school district works with. So we started working with the school board of how do you get their buy in? And so had the school board um, develop policies, one, any student moving new into the district would go to their neighborhood school, you know, not even asking questions because if we're building community, they need to be in the building with their siblings and with their neighborhood peers and who they hang out with. The other policy is because when I I came to this district, we had over 100 what I call self-contained classrooms. And, you know, they, certain disabilities were best to certain schools, and the question that I had to ask is, show me your data, are kids making progress, are we just what I call doing custodial care? Keeping students safe, you know, hopefully teaching them something, but truly just caring as we move through school, and I really wanted to see the student achievement data. And so, the first year coming into the district, we lo- we did look at all of data, you know, of how kids were performing, both behavioral, academic-wise, social emotional You know, we started gathering the data, and I will have to tell you, it was abysmal. You know, and so that's, we took data to the school board, and and the one thing I always say with school boards is, their first question is always going to be, how much is this going to cost, and what are. concerns constituents going to say. So we developed a matrix, kind of like a rubric of what we're going to do with all of the school board members and put that together, which I'll be talking more at the national conference this summer about how to work with each audience. But we truly become a business and we truly look at every audience from school board members to administrators to then teachers, both special ed, gen ed, itinerant, support staff, all of the people in that mix, we had to deal with parents because I will tell you they're all over the map from wanting I want my child safe in a self-contained classroom to parents saying I only want full inclusion so we had to really you know discuss those issues another audience is community because you can't have just inclusive practices from preschool to 21 what happens when they exit school what about previous to school so we wanted to really bring in service providers from early childhood and even adult services to truly have these conversations now again don't have much control over them but we at least wanted them to know what we're doing so they could start preparing themselves for when we have kids exit school of doing that another group we brought in to really look at it was our our state department because we couldn't match filling out their forms because nobody everybody owns kids not one teacher not one therapist etc and then we also brought in our legislators so they could know and see firsthand what we're doing so when I really talk about inclusive education I can't talk about it in isolation without truly talking about systems change And I I will tell you the first year not only gathering the data getting our ducks in a row but truly almost teaching and working with the different groups of what is systems change because usually there's about twenty percent of people that are ready for change there's sixty percent in the middle that will go either way and then there's twenty percent of people that never want change at all and they'll come dragging and kicking and so where do you put your energies how do you move that middle group up to the vision uh... truly wanting kids to be in neighborhood school and wanting them to be included you know with the typical peers and so we truly then developed activities, processes, tools, you know, for each of those audiences to move them through. Even goes down to a bus driver. How do they, you know, how do they accept kids on a bus? So that kids, you know, if they misbehave, do they have a Game Boy? You know, do they need headsets? To even training um, cafeteria people so that when students or children come in through the line, they're making choices rather than just handing them because we have high expectations. So when when we talk inclusive practices, we talk that it affects every person in the school district. It's not just special ed. It's truly building that culture or that belief system that every student, no matter where they are, from gifted, talented, high achieving to students that may have multiple needs, they are a valued member you know, of a of the school building community.
2: Super. So how many years did it take to implement that?
3: Well in this district we set a five year process and we were pretty much through the process in four years. You know, another district it was seven years. Another district it was three years. It just depends again when you do your data analysis and you bring all the what I call all the audiences together to truly figure out where they are on that continuum of looking at inclusive practices. Once you establish that, it kind of then sets your timeline about how long you think it's going to take because we literally wrote year by year every activity that we were going to be doing through those five years you know of getting those students back to neighborhood school being included a major part of the day and then how are we going to provide those services not only for students identified but even those students that are at risk you know because I guess being the dad when I did the research you know we can we can make rooms and we can flower them up and say whatever we want but if it's still seen as that special ed classroom you know kids still think it's that room and that's why when we set up our special ed, you know, kind of services, we call all of our our classrooms under our umbrella um, learning centers. And it's for all kids. It could be for a student that's gifted coming down to do true enrichment, not just extra busy work. Or it could be for uh, English as a second language student to come in and, and get some skill building. It's for students that may have a 504 plan that needs some, you know, work it may be a student identified under the IDEA umbrella that needs supports so it truly is a learning center for all kids truly to build those skills because our goal is we work on skills so they have less removal even coming down to small group or individual in that general classroom because that is our primary goal is that we build that community so even when students are coming down to the learning center there's typical peers in that room the entire time. So when I work with parents and they say, oh my god, I never want my child pulled out, let's really think about this because some students at some points during the day, even typical peers, need small group or need some one-on-one or specific skill building. So when people get entrenched, say it's only black and white or it's only this way, I'd have to challenge them and ask, but what is your child trying to learn? I don't care where they are, I want to see growth you know whether it being in a learning center the typical classroom out in you know if we're doing extracurricular activities are they even learning you know with with sometimes speech language peer buddies at lunch with the speech therapist doing a, a speech study buddy or on the playground you know where language actually occurs so we really need to get out of our box and forget about where let's think about what can be taught and then What setting or what location can it be
2: taught? An important factor there that uh, I'm still grasping myself is my own child's perception of himself. And, you know, that seemed to be an important facet of inclusion is that you're training your child to think of himself as the same and not training him by taking him somewhere separate all the time to be thinking of himself as special or different. Now, the key to that is that the, the rooms... Uh, the extra resources are used for all kids, so that uh, it, it helps the other kids because they have needs to use them as well. But I think that it may alleviate this problem where, you know, uh, that uh, you know, children with Down syndrome or, or children with any special needs would would be perceiving themselves as different or always pulled out. It would have a negative connotation. But if you use it for everybody, then you might you might clear that connotation.
3: That's correct. Then it's not known as that room, because I and, and again everything I've learned. I mean, yes, I've been with researchers all over the country and the gurus, but I've probably learned most from kids and truly to hear and listen to their voices. For example, when I went into one school, I was going in to visit, you know, um, one of the special ed teachers and the kids were sitting there because their teacher had gone in to visit for a minute. They were on their way to music. You know, and this little girl, who are you? I says, I'm Michael. Who are you? I'm Maggie. Maggie. And, I, and they said, where are, you, where are you going? I said, I'm going in. They said, well, if you go in there, you have to miss this and you have to miss this. And another kid piped up. And I don't know how bad you have to be before you get placed in that room. So kids know. I mean, again, I think that's why my own son, when he was in middle school, they wanted him to go down in the district. Because again, I never was in charge of the district where my kids went because I just felt that was a conflict of interest. And so, one day, they called us in and said, we think Brian needs to go down to Mike Goss's classroom, which was a special ed room and more of a self-contained. And, you know, because the gap was widening and this and that. And, you know, we went home and talked to Brian and his words. I mean, he had limited speech. But he said, you know, at that time, because, again, too bad for the word, that's the retarded room. I quit school. You know, now he'd say intellectual disability you know, but we had looked up and we had looked up, you know, at that time, middle retardation. It means slow, but you got gifts in other areas. But it, di- I mean, I had done all the research from the academic piece, but what are we doing to the kids social and emotional, you know, when they think that they're going to be different. So, that's why we came up with the concept of Learning Center for all kids. And again, it's for small group, skill building one-on-one. It has nothing to do with a label, because it's truly you go to that room to build a skill it has nothing to do with whether you've got this label of 504 or special ed or gifted or whatever it's truly a learning center to meet student needs
2: so uh, it took about four years to get in place how many years has it now been that it's that uh, that your, your your vision obviously it's always changing a little bit but that your since your vision has been complete
3: well, this is my ninth year, wow. and every Wow. but you need to know that all kids were back at the neighborhood school. You know, we dissolved all self-contained classrooms. You know, we went with learning centers. That was the goal in five years. You know, every year we do a research project because I, I still, it, it's, I go into classrooms and even particularly other school districts and I, and that's why I say, some school districts say these kids are included. And yeah, they may be in there, but they're really not included. I give the example like, say that you go to a, you're invited to a party, So you move new into the neighborhood, and you go there, but you don't know a soul. You know, you haven't had any conversations, you're at that party all evening, I would be in the corner. Yes, I'm included, but yet I'm not. So even when we talk about inclusive practices, we have to look at truly the practices and are students truly a full-fledged member of that classroom? And the other question is, are they learning? That's the biggest piece I always ask. I mean, because I don't want kids in a classroom just to be a window dressing. They need to be growing, they need to be looking at student achievement, you know, along with every other student. So, every year we do, um, I collect data because I'm, I'm a, a data nut. You know, so after the four years, um, the fifth year, we put together questions or what I call a rubric because when we sent people in the building we wanted to be asking the same thing, collecting the same data you know so that we weren't all over the map. We identified two of the most challenging or two of the most, you know, kids with the 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 biggest needs and we followed them because my question is yes they're at neighborhood school but how much during the day are they with typical peers and are they learning? And what we found is they were with typical peers. You know, we had done a pretty good job of that, but what we found is teachers were pretty good at accommodating, but they weren't modifying. In other words, even though our children were there, they weren't growing near as much because we weren't making the curriculum accessible to their ability level. So, the next couple of years, we've truly been focusing on that. I don't think that aspect will ever go away because, you know, teachers come and go and we've got to keep training teachers. You know, how to provide really good supports and how to make that curriculum accessible. This last year, our, our big data thing this year is, um, we pulled every IEP this year and I wanted to look at how much time students were with teachers versus with paraprofessionals and you talk about a hot button because parents get used to that I want that pair with my child that's how they're gonna be in Gen Ed they need I get that but many times what we're doing is we're sloughing students down to paraprofessionals rather than truly getting the instruction from a teacher and so our goal in the next two years is we've added 27 new special ed teachers to our district we will add 28 more in the next year and we will decrease major numbers of paraprofessionals because we truly want students to be with instruction because what we've been writing on IEP is oh, instructional support by the the para. Well what are they learning? I see paras when I go in all the time in classrooms they're setting beside them, get to work, get to work, Get. why are we not teaching them a strategy to redirect themselves and somebody's setting there? We need to be teaching our kids skills of, of what they're going to be doing in the future rather than just somebody glued to them that's always pointed to get to work get to work so I mean w- every year is challenging I mean that's why you know even the next couple of years are going to be interesting because again we've been meeting with all the different groups and nobody is happy even when we went through those first four years I mean it's not pretty I mean people are at each other You've got different belief systems. You've got everything. The biggest thing is standing tall and getting through the process so people can see what's at the end. Because even when we've been doing the parent groups the last month, my child is in gen ed. They have that support system. If you take this away, are they going to go back into special ed or back and? No, no, no. You know, we're just wanting to make sure that we even see better student improvement. So I think it's, oh, you have to keep asking questions every year to improve. Otherwise, it gets stagnant and stale, and kids don't learn as much.
2: I I, I can imagine two separate skill sets you'd have to have to make this happen, Michael. You know, one would be, you know, the vision itself and, you know, the planning to, you know, decide on the changes and whatnot, but the other separate skill would be, convincing people to change and, and, and just keeping all of the different stakeholders happy and moving forward and keeping the whole thing from, from falling apart. I think that part would be quite difficult as well.
3: It does make it difficult, but the thing that helps it that you referred to before, you know, is when we we have the data. It's hard to argue with data. It takes a lot of the emotion out of it, even though you're going to get that. But when you take it down, I mean... When we start looking at it, it's hard to argue with good fact, I mean it's got to be good factual data, but it's hard to argue that when we're, when we're really looking at that student achievement, when we're looking at practices, I mean what are the best practices truly for serving students, all the way to how do you introduce curriculum, what are the teaching strategies, even learning how to really assess students really well you know the the assessments we have just the IQ this or that I mean that isn't gonna cut the mustard you know we we've, we've moved to more curriculum based measurement what are they learning in that curriculum what are the big picture items that our sons and daughters need to learn because kids are going to be different but we want to make sure that they're learning the content within that framework that every other kid needs to learn and we need to set those high expectations
2: yeah, you know, I have an observation about that, and I like to ask Rick and Jason their their opinions. But with with Luke, it seems like he gets evaluated a lot. You know, anytime there's a new therapist of some sort or another, there's a new, I don't know, assessment he needs to take or uh, uh, some sort of some sort of testing. Do you guys feel this way that this happens a lot?
1: Yeah, I, I think so, definitely. And it's a, it's a time consuming process too. It's never a quick test, so. I definitely get what you're saying with
2: that. I mean, I understand that it's a, it's obviously balanced. I understand the need for data, but the the testing itself seems to take up a lot of the and it's not just your child's time, it's that you know you, you have a limited amount of time with the therapist of this sort or another and you know their 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 information is is valuable, but if half the time is spent measuring, it it's it's hard to take.
1: Tell you what, though. It's, there's data points though that they collect through that, it comes in handy when it's that IEP time and the planning time for your future and you know it's what Michael's talking about. You got to have that data to back whatever your educational decision is going to be for the future and to support the small groups or to support the additional adult support or whatever kind of plan you're going to have going into the next year. Uh, they come, they come in handy. I will tell you what, one one quick anecdote with the inclusion story and the kids knowing what's happening. Kayla just this last. Uh, a couple months, the teacher gave us a story about her, you know, they know what's happening. She knows what kind of work she's doing and she knows what she's capable of, but she wants to be with those other kids in the math class to the point that she knows everybody's working on a math topic and I'm going to do it with them and I'm going to write a number down on the page and I don't really understand what, uh, the, the yeah, you know, adding things with three digits in them or, or whatever, the, whatever the focus is of the exercise, but she knows she's going to write down an answer, for everything just like the kids next to her are going to do and um, that is it, it just shows you how strongly you know pulling her away from them would affect her from a social aspect and her school has been really helpful going into that whole, um, uh, and then what we're going to be trying to doing is a little smaller group focusing on think uh, these kinds of uh, different educational pieces uh, like math, with other kids in groups with her to help her advance. So she feels like she's still part of that and not pulled out by herself. So I don't know. Michael, it's, it's great. I'm glad you touched on that. Um, as a parent, you, you almost dig your heels into the ground when you hear they're going to pull kids your kid out into a smaller group, too, because you're. You all, I mean, we just hear inclusion, inclusion, everybody together in the room, everybody in the room together, and then you kind of lose sight sometimes of that example that you talked about. Yeah, they're all in the room together, but they're not all doing the same thing, and everybody's separated, When really everyone should be working towards the same kind of common um, goal at just to whatever degree, but everybody's working together to learn whatever that concept is. Um, uh, That's just my piece of it.
2: Hang on a second, Michael, we lost you again, and now we're back. Go ahead, Michael, and uh, and jump back in if you don't mind.
3: I really appreciate Rick's comment, um, really looking at you know the small group perspective rather than just going to a classroom, because I can understand the hesitancy. Because, again, the past practices, is they just took a group of kids down to the room, and, again, where the expectations is high. I, I always have to... Have the conversation with special ed teachers when we start this process because their comment is, but they learn more in small group and we and they get more one on one. And when I walk in to observe, when we group all kids with disabilities together, I usually when I walk in see kids waiting, you know, because either somebody's had a meltdown or somebody needs changed or feeding or whatever. I see when kids are in gen ed, those supports go with them. They get more one-on-one when they're included than even when they're because I always ask the teacher, show me your data of how you think they're getting more one-on-one in your classroom. I'm not seeing that. Now if you can show me the data, I could understand that, but I you and then they're they're really mad. Because I said it's not that we're not valued, but we need to look at practices, you know, and really look at that differently, because you can't you know, do, do a simulation down the hall when truly the actions in the Gen Ed room. How do you make up, you know, something and, and simulate it down there when it needs to be real? You know, that's what I always ask a speech therapist when they're going down to their speech room. Why are you not co-teaching? Why are you not doing vocabulary in the literacy unit? If you're down teaching a separate set of vocabulary, this kid's learning twice as much. Why aren't they just in Gen Ed? You know, the occupational therapist. Why so aren't they teaching writing without tears? I mean, all the different groups need to be, you know, teaming and working together to truly teach our kids, you know, and truly have higher expectations. So again, I, I really stress it's not about a place, it's what is truly happening.
1: All right. Hey, Michael, one other thing you talk about uh, as you outline all these different players in the in the mix of uh you know changing the system is uh building relationships with all of them as well and that really hit home with me before um you know because you have to win them to your way of thinking is and that takes a lot of time and and i don't know if you could comment on just their building their relationships with the teachers legislators administrators
3: well yeah i mean the thing of it is when you go into this you have to build. I mean, that's why you work with the groups and you start with the board. What is the vision? What's our mission? What's our core values? You know, once you set those, you can't veer from them. And, and, and you do try to build relationships with everyone. But as an example, if, if you don't have the right people on the bus, and if they don't have the same belief system, culture, values, they may have to get off of the bus. Because our first year here, and it's and it's not to point darts or it's not to say nobody's very good because, I mean, teachers teach the way they were taught. You know, are they willing to rethink and repractice, you know, what they're doing? Because we brought all the teachers in the first year and said, you know, once we develop that mission, once we had our data, here's where we're going to be in the next five years. Are you willing to do this? We'll work with you, we'll support you, we'll do whatever, but if, if you can't buy into this, the vision, the practices, and whatever, we'll help you find a, a job in another district. Because, again, it's not that you've done anything wrong, but this is where we're heading as a district, you know, with that vision, and, and again, building those rel- relationships you want them, but we may have to get some people off the bus. You know, and that's why we do bring the legislators in to actually see it. I mean, we send a lot of our people from the district where I was before, because some people can't just get it by reading about it. They need to see it. And what what's the end product look like? Uh, that was probably the biggest thing to really jump the hurdle is we sent like 25 people to the district previously to go because when you walk in the classroom you shouldn't be able to tell who the special ed teacher is if there's a parent in there you know the gen ed teacher they should all be working in tandem and but people have to see it but but Rick you're right I mean it is developing the relationships and truly getting the buy-in from the different groups
0: So it seems it seems to me like it's a it's a fine line between getting pulled into the room and and doing the productive group kind of session like like what you're describing or or is it more just that, that there is no there is no room and the 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 group sessions happen in the classroom and in, in just broken into smaller groups
3: No that we have a, a, usually it's a suite of rooms, it's called a learning center, because again, my theory is, and I always ask the question to collect data, say that you've got a student acting up behavior-wise in a classroom, you know, the first thought is, we'll just send them down to the special ed room. Well, here are the kids who are already probably behind academically, so they get the screamer, where's the, even the common sense in this? Right you know so you've got to even look at these rooms because but there is a need for a kid to go quiet down somewhere you know have we built that like so our learning centers are usually a sweeter rooms because when you want privacy you want want one that we almost make them soundproof that a kid can go in and yell punch a punching bag you know the the learning center I do an analogy like the library you go to the library one to check out a book you can go to the library to do research you go to the library, there may be a, a media person in there that's doing small group reading, you know, for skill building. A learning center is for kids to come have their needs met. And so, you know, typical peers, whatever, they're coming down. It's almost like flexible grouping, you know, when they're coming in there. Michael? But,
2: you, yes. You, you mentioned that uh, uh, each child was going to go to their neighborhood school. So I guess you're saying that every single school has a learning center. Is that right? They're not like centrally located at, at some of the schools? There's one at every school?
3: No, every every school has a... Because all kids do go to their neighborhood school. Wow, that's, that's so a lot And so each school has that's... a learning center. Now, if it's a big high school and our campus is spread out, it may be two or three learning centers so kids don't have to move clear across campus. Mm. You know, because yeah. it's, it's, it's for all kids. I mean, you've got kids coming in and out. I mean, we do a process that we call mapping. You know, and, and you got to remember this was probably the biggest, the hardest part that teachers had a hard time with. When students go to the learning center, it has nothing to do with label, it has nothing to do with disability. They go to the learning, sc- learning center for skill building. For example, um, say there, there's a group of students and you've got a teacher, because we only look at teachers for expertise areas, it's not by their certification you know, I've got a background maybe in autism or I've got a background primarily in social skills. I mean, there's a lot of kids with behavior things that need social skills. But most people think, oh, it's kids with autism or it's kids with behavior. We'll have a social skills period in the learning center that you could have five typical peers go because of conduct disorder kinds of things. You could have three kids with autism Two kids with with learning disabilities that need behavior thing. You could have three kids that are identified with an emotional. I mean, they come to me for skills. I It doesn't matter what label. That's why, even when you're going to the learning center, you're going to have a different teachers. It won't even be. Most people think, oh, they're going to the same teacher and it's special ed. It's not set up like that at all. You're going down for a skill and it could be a different teacher. And say you go another period a day for another skill, it could. Be, you're going to an expert, not just a special ed teacher.
0: I have a question. So the teachers rotate through the learning center as well.
3: Yeah, there's a teacher in there all the time, you know. But again, it's which period because we we map out every period, you know, because it could be one period they're in the general classroom for a good part of it to get the instruction particularly now with the core curriculum coming out or core standards you know that's much more in depth so I'm in gen ed but I'm gonna do a flexible grouping here so I'm gonna send e- maybe even the gen ed teacher going down to the learning center to do small group skill building rather than large group because we all know students need to be engaged and they need to. We need to do much more small group instruction than whole class. I mean, we're fi- the research will show you that if it's small group, one on one, kids will learn much quicker. So it's truly looking at specific needs of kids. Nothing to do with label to go and truly improve your learning.
1: Hey, Michael. Uh, one of the things that you said in the past, I think, was. Um, Students are one of the most underutilized resources to help with an inclusion uh, model, and um, you know a, a common piece of feedback you get from uh, parents uh, that don't have a child with a uh, disability is you know they're they're concerned about having a kid with a disability in the room, and how do you how do you answer that or approach that uh, when you talk to people?
3: You know we've we've never from a parent perspective we've never had that because we do so much communication up front about building community and when I work with parents that may have a comment my comment is your child could be in an accident tomorrow either traumatic brain injury what how do you want the community to deal with your child you know isn't the schools are open to everyone you know why would we bus kids somewhere else I mean if we truly believe in community because I always say I don't see special ed malls for this group or a church for this group type of disability I mean why do we only do that in schools? I mean we really need to think and and you have to truly build because to me when we built our inclusive practices I mean our bullying our name co- goes way down because we really do a lot of disability awareness the whole bullying aspect I mean our kids teach other kids so much,
2: uh, Michael. That's similar to a question I had, maybe from another uh, angle. But uh, have you uh, looked into using some of the maybe in the older schools and the high schools the other children as a resource?
3: Yes, because uh,
2: we had we had this the, this education conference we had again this year, and uh, it was inclusion was the topic again. And uh, four or five students from the local high school came along, and they were like you know uh, hey use us you know we're you know we we we, we, we can learn from the experience they can learn from the experience and we can reduce the impact of whatever whatever change you have coming
3: and we do a lot uh, every one of our high schools, we have five high schools every one of them has a program where they get service credits you know and again but when we truly talk about this we don't want other kids to come and be mamas and papas you know and because we're equal you know, it's truly to become friendships. And we do, I mean, there's a difference because I go to some schools and the peer buddy system, it's like, oh, we take care of these children. That's not it. We want to truly build those friendships. We want to build those buddies. But we have high school students that, yes, do go to the lower grades. They read. They'll even make the accommodations, like if you need a page turner for a kid that can't even turn a page, you know, of doing that. We use peers everywhere. I mean, that's the beauty of this is because our kids learn from it. and we have found I mean a lot of our high school kids they go on to be special ed teachers I mean they truly have found a niche that they like you know and, and truly the thing that we found out is our biggest fear with our sons because our oldest son really didn't even have any languages when they get out of school is this just gonna happen here and then are they gonna have friends when they get out of school that's the beauty of inclusive practices that's Mark, what you're talking about, of using peers, because we really want them to develop those even when they exit school. And, and, and that's why the premise of inclusive practices is so important, because when, the, when you go up with kids in your classes, I mean, here's the future neighbors, here's the future business order owners, here's the future legislators, if they've been all along in school with uh, individuals that are, uh, that are unique. I mean, they're gonna think differently when they get out of school. I mean, like I say, our kids probably teach typical peers more than what they teach us at times it's a it's a give and take
2: uh, i I had had one other question I hate to to push this along, but the, this to me this is a big one, and that you know we all live in other school districts that uh, let me see it seems like your particular school district made a monumental change where they decided to make a you know uh you know they had the uh, um what would be the word the uh, fortitude or whatever to to decide to make a, a one time large change whereas most other school districts seem to maybe they want to incrementally move towards inclusion and, and I don't know how well that works if you're not going to do it all at once but do you have any ideas on that how a uh, a slower moving school district <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps in the Commonwealth of Virginia might uh, might right. might move in that direction without having to have a, a complete revolution in their in their district.
3: Well, with that, when I work with school districts across the country, I mean some school districts will, will do one building or maybe like kindergarten through second grade level. I mean school districts approach it differently. Pardon me of looking at that, uh, and that's fine. I guess I have a hard time because and particularly if they do it because if it's going to be monumental why would you want to go through that grief five or six times just get through the muddy and ugly at once
2: some people like to dive in the pool and some people like to dip their toe in and then their leg and
3: (laughs) and i get that and we'll work with them wherever they are because it's going to only support kids again for that student achievement so you take them where they go Mm -hmm. i mean it's hard. Ho- I mean, it is hard and it, it's even frustrating because yesterday I was talking with our associates. We were doing principal evaluations because I get to sit in on all the principal evaluations, you know, and I've declared that I'm going to be um, retiring from this district in another year, you know, and was asking them, I always look for the successor because are we going to keep this moving and this and that? Are we looking internally? Or are we looking externally? And, you know, a couple of there isn't a school district around that does what we do it's going to be hard you know of looking at that but we have started those discussions because you gotta keep the momentum moving and you gotta keep that belief system moving in that culture but you know if anybody if there's a principal that wants to start it even a teacher if they're willing to start it I mean I would just say go for it cuz you gotta start somewhere
2: well, this is a good, kind of a good roundup thing because I think uh, uh, a lot of people aren't, particularly with schools, are not early adopters. So the fact that you're out there, and I know you're, I'm not sure, but I, I doubt you're the only district in the country that's moved this far. And But the fact that there are school districts like that out there, they're being successful, you have collected data, that's going to help us convince our, you know, the rest of the country to slowly, to sl- slowly or quickly, hopefully quickly, move in that direction. So... That helps all of us out, Michael.
3: Well, I hope so, because my goal is I would like to see every, included, every student be a part of their community in school. I mean, that's what schools should be. In other words, when I go to Baskin-and-Robbins, I don't see a door for disability. I don't see a door for color. I don't see a door. When you go to Baskin-and-Robbins, you're afforded 31 flavors. When you come to school, you should be afforded everything that every other student is afforded. To me, if you don't, it's discrimination. Everybody should be valued and again welcomed in that total school community.
2: All right, you guys got any questions?
1: I think that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that was great.
2: All right, you want to stick around and do uh, uh, moments of the week with us, Michael? Sure. This part is kind of you know the I don't know the the, the touchy feely part where we share a little bit of our uh, <clears throat> of our own lives. We make it real. I'm sure all dads have these have these kinds of stories
1: or whatever. But
2: uh, who who wants to go first?
1: I don't mind. Uh, we had one of the things that happened in Delaware uh, recently was we just passed our uh, law for uh, information on a Down syndrome diagnosis. So last week we, we Delaware joined Maryland, Kentucky, and Massachusetts on. Uh, uh, people in your state that are delivering diagnosis have to give current information and it's a law that's a, that requires them to do that. Uh, we were at the bill signing last week and Kayla was there with us and the governor was uh, talking and different legislators and the governor turned toward Kayla and said, Kayla, you have anything that you want to say about this bill? And she looked at him and we didn't do any kind of like talking about it to her to like, say, hey, you might have to talk about this or what you want to say. But she looks back at him and just goes... I just want to say, I love you. <laughs> and <I> was, <laughs> and, uh, and he smiled, and everybody smiled and stuff, and it was pretty amazing. So. Making it
2: real, making it very real.
1: It was a very, it was a very cool moment, and it was it was cute. And she couldn't have said anything better than that. So that was fantastic. You oh, guys so. do the
2: coolest stuff. You
1: must have trouble picking these moments. <laughs> we we've had a busy uh, last month. I got to tell you, a lot of stuff was happening in Delaware. So. Uh, yeah, but that was just that was just way cool. It was a really cool thing, and uh, got we uh, just we got one of those. You know, like when you, you sign a bill, they give you a pen for each ah, thing yeah they sign. So we got a pen and stuff. So that was really cool. Too. Good so. work, man. Good work. But anyway, so yeah, I'm I'm all about it. Let's help you guys get your laws done in your state. We can, wow. We can get that going. Okay.
2: Well, you guys are the first date. Well, maybe you weren't the first day for this, but you know. <laughs> got it. Fourth oh. state. <laughs> anyway, that's my moment. Wow. All righty. Excellent. What do you got, Jason?
0: I'm um, pass. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. go. Uh, this uh, earlier this evening I was trying to teach Luke a knock knock joke. <laughs> uh, awesome. <laughs> you know, things that dad's do or whatever. And you know, he's, he's having trouble with the with the with the rhythm of it. He keeps wanting to say my part as well as his part, right? But he was getting it. And Kim walks by my wife walks by, and she looks at me like with that look of I have like a thousand things you're supposed to be working on with him <laughs> and knock <knock-knock> knock joke <laughs> is what you came up with. <laughs> i think it's important you know uh alex taught him pi to several digits you know not really the kind of math he needs to be learning but uh these kinds of things are kind of funny and uh i i like that uh we we spice up the things that he learned so hopefully uh i get him going maybe we'll do the i'll, I'll do a sound clip of the knock knock joke it's going to take me another couple of nights of uh working with him but uh every kid should know at least one joke as
1: far as i'm concerned definitely that's that's definitely so, valuable. I'm so
0: glad you said that because you, you, you gave me you gave me a story.
1: I'm here to help, man.
0: Thank you. So El- Eloise is sort of into knock knock jokes now, and so one day I don't know it was probably a couple of weeks ago. Dexter comes up to me. I think we were in the car or maybe we were at the table, and he said, "Papa, knock knock," and I said, "Who's there?" And he said, and so very into the Grinch. He said. The Grinch. I said, the Grinch who? He said, the Grinch stole Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's awesome, man. He's kind of got the and rhythm said, of it. Oh, you know.
0: fantastic. Yeah, that was so good. I yeah. was very yeah. impressed.
2: Yeah. Good work, man.
1: That's
0: awesome. Yeah.
2: Okay, so whose house has taken over with the music from Frozen?
0: Oh, yeah, mine. Definitely have you, mine.
2: Have you got that bug in your house, Rick? Yes. Oh, yeah. constantly yeah Uh, it's it's catchy music but it's just it's crazy all right michael that's kind of the thing that we do you got something to add in that uh in that vein
3: no i don't
2: oh come on
3: i i mean the only thing i can say is i'm excited we're having our first grandchild this next month there you go
0: exciting that is exciting
3: thanks we're excited
2: yeah wow i'm looking forward to that phase where you know, <laughs> uh, you're at the beginning. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the non-24/7 phase would be nice. All Well, uh, anybody got anything they want to throw out before we? Uh Yay.
0: Yeah, I have something. I mm-hmm. I uh, I was at our our DSA gala maybe two weekends ago, maybe three, and um, so I was talking to someone about about Down syndrome radio, and she was a, a big fan. She thought that that Mark especially was quirky and really funny. And I, <laughs> I kind of said, are, are you sure you listen? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> she
2: just read the description and my name was at the bottom, I guess.
0: Yeah. No, she said she was a big fan. And this was kind of, kind of great to, to hear that people actually listen to this kind of thing.
2: You, you had some sort of other feedback, uh, an email or something, didn't you, Rick, that you, that you shared with us? Or Facebook yeah. posts?
1: Yes, yeah, someone someone loved it. I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, I'll, I'll have it prepped maybe for the next one. Right. Maybe we can do a live show from Indianapolis. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make
0: it. I've been oh, trying to work no, it
2: out. Yeah. It's still it's still possible, but uh, it's just a lot of other stuff. Or possibly it might it might wind up being Kim, but not me.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. <laughs>
2: it's, too, it's too it's too hard. It's it's you know flying everybody there going to cost a mint. Driving, it's like a 20 hour drive. It's, I'm not so That's sure. Enough. I heard no. the.
0: Jesus. I think the next year is Phoenix, though. Yes. Oh. Really? Great. So JW, that's definitely yeah. that's definitely easier for for my plan.
2: Okay.
0: Okay. Especially since we just purchased the minivan, we are we're a full three kid minivan family now.
2: You're awesome. You're there now.
0: Yeah. 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 You can't nah, beat the
2: minivan.
1: You're
0: living the life.
2: It's like driving around <laughs> in your living room. Yeah, it's nice.
0: Yeah, it's. I gotta say, it's pretty great. I mean, I, 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 five or ten years ago, I never, ever, ever would have imagined myself driving a minivan. But it's it's very nice. It's very convenient. We, <laughs> grandma, my my mom just left today. Uh, she was here for for a month, basically, from when the, the baby, right before the baby was born, to to today. And it was great. I mean, we tooled around all of us in the same car. You know, it was it was very nice very helpful of her to come out
2: too excellent
3: yeah
2: all right anybody else got anything michael you got anything you want to plug
3: for yeah i just hope when you can i hope to see you this summer yes tell
1: everyone to go to uh, michael's part of the convention
3: oh yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: learn more about this okay yeah okay it's so valuable and it's every time i hear you speak michael it's inspiring so thank you so much for joining us Absolutely. absolutely yeah no yeah
0: No, that was was great. This was my first time, and it was was very
2: good. Thanks for persevering with us. We know it wasn't easy. It's it's a lot lot of busy schedules to fit together.
3: It was. Thank you.
1: All right. Rick, you got anything you want to plug
2: there, buddy? I'm wearing the 321 Foundation shirt here.
1: It's beautiful. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, no, well, hey, we're in like our second month of a new nonprofit called 321 Foundation. And we talked about it in one of our last in our last podcasts. And things are going great. And it's it's exciting to start up a new nonprofit, i got to tell you. So uh, I'll keep everybody updated as we go. And check out 321foundation.com and Facebook and Twitter and all those good places. That's it.
2: All right. Well, uh, uh, you've been listening to Down Syndrome Radio, episode twenty-seven. Thank you for spending an hour with us. We hope it was uh, uh, valuable to you. We had a good time, as always. Please check us out at uh, downrightawesome.com, dot uh, com, along with other other exciting stuff there. Or if you want to go straight to downsyndromeradio dot com, that directs you to the same place. You want to give them the f- uh, Facebook and Twitter information,
1: Rick? Yeah, uh, it's. Uh Facebook backslash down syndrome radio and uh, on Twitter uh, it's probably something like Down syndrome radio but you can find it just by hashtag down syndrome radio and uh, you can send us an email at uh, Down syndrome radio at gmail.com that's
2: right that's right and, and there's a lot of activity going on there it's uh, it's been it's been pretty good uh, we'd also love it if you went to uh, iTunes. Uh, I don't know whatever, however you uh, consume your your podcast media, but if you went to iTunes and left us a, a kind review there, that would be helpful. We would we would love that as well. Other than that, you know, uh, thanks for listening. Anything anything else, anybody? Before I go to the final song, no, I'm good. All righty,
0: thank you. Take
2: Yeah, you ain't seen nothing yet. Our kids can tell knock-knock jokes like nothing. Right on. He could be a funny man. He's already pretty
0: funny.
2: Thanks again, Michael, for your time. It wonderful. Thank you, Michael. That's nice.